Hello and welcome to the Grattan Institute podcast. I'm Tom Crowley. I'm the Associate in the Budget Policy and Institutional Reform team. And I'm here today with the rest of my team, Kate Griffiths, the fellow, and Danielle Wood, our CEO and the Director of the Budget Policy team. And we're here to talk about our new report on women's work and the COVID recession. This report was generously supported by the Extra Foundation. So we thank them for their timely support for this report that's coming out on International Women's Day. And I'll be chatting with Danny and Kate about the key findings of the report and what governments uh, should keep in mind as we uh, finish the recovery for the COVID recession and aim to build back better. So I'll start with you, Danny. Why do we need to apply a gender lens when we think about recessions and what does it tell us about the COVID recession? I think the first thing to say is uh, applying a gender lens isn't a new or a radical proposition. It, it simply reflects the fact that economic policies impact men and women differently. And so assessing these different impacts is really should be part of the policy development process. Um, that helps make sure that policy isn't having unintended consequences and that it's not overlooking important groups. Um, so really, it's about using distributional analysis to understand the impacts of policy. Um, gender's one lens. Um, there might be others, age, disadvantage, language or cultural background. Really depends at the set of policies that you're looking at. And I think in this recession, the gender lens gives us a really important insight. This was the worst recession in living memory for women. Uh, in the report, we describe it really as a triple whammy. So first, in terms of employment, women were more likely to lose jobs uh, particularly in the early stages of the recession in those lockdowns. Um, second, women were squeezed by the rise in unpaid work, uh, particularly homeschooling, and that looks like it translated into falls into to workforce participation rates as well as study participation for some women. So thirdly, women were disproportionately excluded from government supports because of design decisions such as the one to exclude shorter-term casual workers from, from JobKeeper. So if we were entirely to ignore the different experience, um, the risk is that we wouldn't put together the right set of policies to, to drive the economic recovery and we would exacerbate existing inequalities. So you mentioned that triple whammy there and I think we'll speak about each of those things in turn. Um, I might begin with kind of focusing on the first part of that story, which is uh, women in the workplace. Um, and I think it's important to distinguish between different phases of the crisis because there are slightly different stories for women in each of those phases. So I think beginning with the lockdowns, um, and I think that the, the overwhelming story that came out of uh, the lockdowns that happened in the, the beginning of 2020 in most of Australia and, and for a second time in Victoria is that they were especially bad for, for women's employment. And we kind of identify four reasons for that in the report. First of all, you know, women work in, in the kind of people-facing industries, if you like, personal services and, and kind of people-facing services, uh, which were the industries that had to, to scale down the businesses that had to shut their doors during lockdowns. And they were also in the occupation groups that were most likely to be affected. So, for example, two-thirds of hospitality workers uh, are women. So, so women were sort of on the front line of a recession that required us to sort of scale back in-person uh, communications because that's a lot of uh, the, the areas in the economy where, where women work. They were also more likely uh, within any industry that they're found in to be part-timers and part-timers were, were more vulnerable to lose their jobs. Um, and as you mentioned in, in that answer, Danny, they were more likely to miss out on some of the major government supports. So even though women lost more jobs than men, uh, more men received JobKeeper than, than women. That was kind of the, the, the initial onset crisis phase. Uh, as the lockdowns have eased, there's been something of a rebound 
um, for women's jobs. I suppose in, in the same way that women were the first to lose jobs, they have been in some sense the first to get them back as the lockdowns have ended. Uh, but we now find ourselves still in a position where both men and women uh, are well below what we would consider to be full employment. Unemployment is too high uh, across the economy. And even though the recovery is proceeding faster than we've expected, uh, we, the, the, the forecasts from the RBA and Treasury still expect unemployment to be above what we might consider full employment for a significant period of time. Um, and so we're not out of the woods yet. Um, and in particular, I, I suppose when we look at some of the sectors that are likely to be depressed for the longest, We'd expect at the moment that they're going to be the sectors that continue to be affected by, by COVID restrictions, including border restrictions. And when we look at that list, there's also sort of reason to believe that there'll be, you know, several sectors which are major employers of women which will continue to struggle, particularly higher education, tourism, and, and some of those hospitality industries which will continue to be affected by, by ongoing restrictions. So, again, you know, that, that I suppose just goes to demonstrate that, that on the work front where we're sort of not out of the woods. And, of course, the, the whole story that I'm telling there is really an, an aggregate and a sector-by-sector sector story. But as we often know, um, with the labour market, there, there'll be particular pockets of uh, acute disadvantage and, and we are seeing that in this crisis as well. The fact that sort of smaller groups who have traditionally struggled in the labour market have had a, a slower recovery than, than everyone else. And then one that we highlight in the report, uh, which Kate might talk about later, is, is uh, single parents who are doing much, much worse than parents in couples at the moment. And 80% of single parents are women. So on an aggregate level and on some smaller levels, there are there are sort of many, many issues for, uh, for women in the labour force. And as Danny mentioned, as far as employment is concerned, that makes this the, the worst recession in living memory for women in the workforce. But as you mentioned there with that triple whammy, Danny, um, it's, it's not just at the workforce that there was a significant unpaid workload that, that fell on women as well. So Kate, I might throw to you to tell us a little bit about what the story was for women at home. Sure, Tom. So on the um, sort of home front, we saw a lot of additional pressures during during COVID, we obviously saw children sort of kept home from school, kept home from childcare, whether that was because schools and, and childcare centres were actually closed or because parents had some health concerns during during the peak of the crisis. Um, but we saw, you know, families kind of working from home, learning from home all together. As many Australians may already know, before the crisis, women kind of bore more of the unpaid work. And we saw during the crisis a big increase for both men and women in unpaid work, but we saw most of the additional load go to women as well. So from a higher baseline, they took on more again. And you wouldn't be surprised to hear that that then flowed through to uh, their paid employment, to their uh, working hours, to their study choices as well. So we can see in the data that uh, many women, particularly mothers or, or women of childbearing age, in some cases we don't, we don't have the details about whether or not they have children, but we can look at the age groups that were affected. And we can see that, that those groups of women were sort of the most likely to, to drop out of work during the lockdowns particularly, and then picked it up back up again often. Um, so, so perhaps they were sort of dropping out of their role and then coming back to their role. But then we saw in Victoria, you know, the double lockdown effect, that particularly hurt mothers. And we, we noticed this sort of broader trend where um, whilst, sorry, mothers in couples rebounded after lockdowns, we didn't see the sort of same rebound from single mothers. So it looks like work's been lost there altogether and paid hours are still down about 10%. Uh, almost a year on for, for single mothers. So that's that's huge for a group that were already one of the most vulnerable groups, um, most um, likely to live in poverty. And of course, that's an incredibly difficult position uh, to be in when you've missed out on um, JobKeeper in many cases, very few single parents qualified for JobKeeper. They're looking to get back into the workforce potentially, but they're also still very much behind where they were last year. And they were already in a bad position 
pre-COVID. So there were some of the kind of most dramatic effects we saw uh, on mothers in particular. We did also see a really big loss, I suppose, of, of enrolments at universities. And the, the biggest drop in enrolments was unsurprisingly international students who were sort of blocked by border closures. But the next biggest drop in enrolments was for women over 25. And that looks to have been women, probably often mothers withdrawing from study during this period. And it was pretty dramatic. The, the withdrawal of, of, of women in that group was about half the total loss of international students' enrolments. So it's pretty incredible the drop we saw in enrolments there. And that'll have longer term consequences. You know, dropping study definitely has an impact on your future earnings and on your future career trajectory. So Danny, of course, recessions don't happen in a vacuum. We know that women already faced economic challenges before COVID. How will the effects of COVID at both work and home make things worse for women? Well, as you say, Tom, there there was already some significant gaps between men and women, and particularly um, a, a big lifetime earnings gap because women on average spend fewer hours in work uh, they earn less per hour and they have less by way of savings. So we did a calculation for our previous report on cheaper childcare that looked at an average man and woman aged 25 today and projected their lifetime earnings going forward based on current patterns of work and, and current wages. Uh, and what we found is if that man and woman went on to have children, um, there would be about a $2 million earnings gap between the two. The woman would earn on average $2 million less over her lifetime. So this is already a very substantial gap. Now, when we layer COVID over the top of that, for those women that did lose jobs, uh, what we know is COVID will exacerbate that gap, spills out of the workforce for women, uh, particularly when they come on top of what's already a sort of stop-start career path. Particularly mothers will, will have spells out of the workforce And what we see is that affects not just earnings because you're out of the workforce for that period, but the earnings trajectory going forward. Um, So we expect that that COVID will have similar long-tail impacts, even for the women that didn't lose jobs, um, but they scaled back hours, which we saw in the data. Um, You know, some may have given up on going for a promotion because it was all too hard when you're being squeezed by unpaid work. Uh, Kate's already talked about the group that stepped back from study. All of those groups will also see long-term effects. So I, I think, you know, pretty confident in saying the overall effect of this recession is likely to be a widening of that lifetime earnings gap. And that obviously then flows through to, to other gaps, um, like the gender gap in retirement incomes. A positive note, I think we should always, uh, we don't want to be too doom and gloom and, and look for the positive messages. There was a big shift in working patterns uh, in this crisis, um, at least for those that could work from home. We all discovered the, the joys of um, Zoom meetings and doing our jobs from the kitchen tables. It seems as if some of that sort of flexible style of work is likely to continue. Most of the surveys that have been done of em- employees in those workplaces suggest that that people have an appetite to continue working from home at least some of the time. Traditionally, that sort of more flexible style of work was really associated with sort of women's jobs as it becomes more widespread you know, I think there's a real potential that we'll see a change in the way families share care. So perhaps a, a greater balance between um, unpaid and paid work between the genders. Uh, but it's all going to come down to how well we implement that change. Uh, if we end up in a world, for example, where it, it's only women taking up that option and men are the ones more likely to return to the office, potentially we then actually exacerbate the existing disadvantage. Women get less face time, more likely to be overlooked for promotions. I think we do have an opportunity to shift the paradigm here, but it's really on employers, I think, to make sure that 
it's done in a way that, that really works for women as well as men. Thanks, Danny. So, Kate, let's bring the conversation to the government now and to the stimulus response. Um, were women's jobs supported in a way that the government responded to the crisis? Well, the first thing we should say is that the government response, sort of federal and state collectively, was was huge. And that was so important to ensuring that this recovery has been faster than expected. So credit where credit is due. But one of the interesting things we reflected on when we actually looked at some of the sorts of specific measures, so not the economy-wide measures, but the measures that were going to support particular industries, is that, the and this is about 20% of, of the total response, but that package of, of supports was really oddly targeted. So mostly went to um, industries, particularly construction, but also industries like energy and defence that had barely had sort of any downturn as a result of the pandemic. And many of the industries we've been talking about, like hospitality and tourism and higher education, they were overlooked. And so it's a really, um, you know, when you when you break down that kind of package of, of supports that were available to grow jobs in specific industries, and, and, and this is really thinking about, you know, where does the stimulus go in terms of creating new job opportunities and employment opportunities for those who are out of work, we haven't seen it particularly well targeted to the women's jobs or even really to the majority of the economy. I mean, 80% of Australians work in services industries and it's the services industries that have largely missed out in the government's recovery plans so far. When I say the government there, I, I do refer mainly to the federal government. There were some um, sort of gaps plugged by state governments. But in terms of the total volume of spend, the overall result is still very similar where most of the supports have flowed to the construction industry and very few to some of the frontline businesses that were actually shut down during the crisis. So we talk about that that um, that kind of skew towards construction in the report as, as sort of the old recession playbook. Danny, what, what would a better playbook or an expanded playbook for recessions look like that, that takes into account and, and supports women's jobs better? And what can governments do now and, and over the longer term to support women's jobs? Yeah, look, I think it's a really important question. And, you know, it, it's not surprising. I think, you know, it is hard to change the way you've done, you do things. Um, the economy has, has changed a lot since we, we last had a recession back in the early 90s, as Kate has flagged. And, and so it does require us to think a little bit differently, I think, about how we do stimulus. Um, so, you know, the first thing I would say is we need to find creative ways of investment in services uh, as part of stimulus packages. Uh, so this time around, uh, I think there is there's still a case for supporting those industries that are, that are lagging in the recovery, uh, particularly ones where they're affected by ongoing restrictions, whether that's border closures or social distancing restrictions. Um, so the sectors like tourism, higher education, aviation, hospitality, the arts uh, are all sectors, I think, that have a, a good case for, for ongoing support. Uh, but there are other things that governments can do as well to directly invest in, in jobs in the care economy. And, you know, really interesting evidence emerging um, about the return on those sort of investments. So putting money into care industries like aged care, like childcare, like health, create more jobs per dollar than investment in construction. So there's a really sort of strong economic story, as well as a story, I think, about the sort of the broad base of the, the economic recovery. So as governments are thinking about this question of how to build back better, you know, we think there's a huge potential here in terms of the care economy. Uh, the biggest lever we think is available is more affordable and accessible childcare. Uh, we've, we've written about this a lot at Grattan, but it's incredibly important and you know, making childcare more affordable in that way will give parents and especially mothers the chance to return to paid work or take on more hours if they want to. 
Uh, that's got benefits for women's economic security and it's also got benefits for broader economic activity. And there are other reforms that we think are really important in the care economy. Grattan's recommended fundamental reform to aged care and a move to a rights-based system, which was recommended by the Royal Commission report. That has implications for things around staffing, uh, which we think is a really important policy discussion going forward. And that actually fits into a, another recommendation that we made in the report, which is um, to, to do an independent inquiry into the care workforce. There is going to be a huge demand for carers, you know, whether that's in aged care, whether it's disability care, whether it's in childcare going forward. Um, we need to train these workers. We need to understand how to attract and retain them, um, given that they have historically been pretty low-paid jobs, often with poor conditions. So we might need to fundamentally rethink um, how it is we we staff our care economy jobs going forward. So these are the sorts of, I think, really important policy discussions we should be having in the wake of COVID. And they're obviously highly relevant to, to women's economic outcomes and security in the longer term. Thanks, Danny. And there are plenty of things in there we hope for governments to think about as we head into budget season. If you're interested in finding out more about this report or to find out about some of the events that we're running this week to talk about the report, you can head to our website, grattan.edu.au. Thanks for listening.